Good morning and welcome to the Volunteer Podcast. This is your host, Davis Ransom, and today I am thrilled to have Nabil Mardini, the head coach at LA Mission College, a longtime head coach for Pierce College, and a very successful business person, club owner and director and influencer, if you will, in volleyball. So I'm thrilled to have you uh, t- with us today, Nabil. So thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be on the bo- podcast as well. Absolutely. So before we start, would you mind just letting people know just a little bit about your background? Yeah. <laughs> How long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> I know. You got a vast uh, resume. I know that. But whatever, whatever highlights you want to let people know about. Yeah, I mean, from a volleyball standpoint, obviously, I, uh, I came to the States from, uh, from Lebanon. And I, uh, I originally came to go to school and get a degree in electrical engineering, which I did uh, from UCLA. Uh, but my heart has always been into uh, uh, doing something in sport and obviously specifically volleyball. I don't just have a passion for the game. Uh, I'm obsessed about the game of volleyball. I was as a player and I am as a coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously, and, and, and this is part of the reason why I got involved in coaching is because I really wanted to give back to the game that gave me so much. So make a long story short, fast forward. Uh, in 96, I decided I'm going to change careers and I uh, stopped working as an, as an engineer and I got involved in club volleyball and I uh, got hired in 2000 to be the coach at Pierce College. At the time, uh, Pierce, uh, the women's program at Pierce uh, was not, you know, was, I would say, maybe uh, top five from the bottom, if you know what I mean. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> so we go in two years, we go from, you know, pretty much being last, not only in conference, being last in the state to uh, winning conference. And we never looked back. Um, in my 17 years at Pierce, we made it to the finals uh, six times and we won three of them. And we actually won 15 out of 17 conference championships. So uh, Wow. So we amassed a good record. I've been very lucky to uh, have outstanding players and people uh, come through the program. Uh, obviously, that's part of what we're going to talk about today. Um, I've done my homework mm-hmm. in terms of recruiting the players. Uh, but it's been, it's been my 17 years at Pierce were some of the best memories of my, in my lifetime. Um, and more importantly, not because of the success that we had. Uh, it's just because of all the personal relationships that I built with the players mm. that still today I'm obviously in contact with a lot of them and and, uh, and I cherish the most well I was just gonna say and now you're in this new chapter of your coaching where you are now the head coach at LA Mission College yes correct and and building that up and they're kind of in a position that Pierce was in when you took over there you know when you Start. Yeah, you know, so right. I, I, when I left in 2017, I mean, obviously, along the way, I've always been involved with volleyball. Obviously, we have the Los Angeles Volleyball Academy, which is, uh, which is, we have 65 teams in the club under the umbrella of Lava. So I run that. However, I'm not, I'm not involved in, I'm not coaching a club team anymore. I stopped back in 2014. That was my last year. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because in 2017, when I, when I left Pierce College, I, you know, I went back and I got my master's, but I do miss coaching. And this is one of the big reasons why 
I accepted the job at Mission. Now, you're right, Mission is kind of in the same boat. Uh, but I visited the campus. I met with the athletic director. Um, I like the campus. I like the facilities that they have. I like the support system. And to me, I, I'm not taking the job just to take a job. Like I said, I, I, I love winning. I love building a program. And I don't, if I didn't see potential in Mission College, I would not have taken the, the, the job. So I'm looking forward to the journey with Mission. Obviously, this time I know a lot more than I did 20 years ago. So, but, but isn't that the point? in the end so so i'm gonna approach right. it a little bit differently obviously that's really neat and that's what we're gonna kind of talk about today is building a program right at pierce like you mentioned they weren't all that strong when you got there you had to build sure. them up and all the way up to being state champions and having sort of a really strong legacy there if you will and now that program's strong you know all the time, basically. So, so we're going to be talking a lot about sort of what goes into that and what your beliefs are. Um, so why don't we start off with a couple of things that you would think of as pillars of building a program? Yeah. You know, what are some big things that you think? And of? before yeah. I answer this, I mean, let me tell you a short story sure. that happened after my first year at Pierce. My first year at Pierce as a coach, uh, I went 0-20 uh, with, not, again, nothing against the girls that I had. Uh, you know, we just didn't have a lot of talent. Uh, it was my first season. And at the end of the year, I was very discouraged. And at the time, I was sharing an office with a renowned coach, uh, Ken Stanley. Everybody knows him as Big Daddy. Mm-hmm. He's actually coached. Okay. Uh, yeah, he's, uh, he, coached, he was at Pierce for the longest time, but he is, yep. he is one of Marv Dumpy's yep. mentors. And, and he was involved with the national team. Mm-hmm. Everybody in the Volvo world knows who Ken Stanley is. So at the time, yep. I was sharing the office with him, and he's a very successful men's volleyball coach, obviously retired now. So at the end of the season, I told Big Daddy, Ken Stanley, I said, I don't think coaching is, is for me. I think I cannot do this. You know, coach, high, high school coaches are not returning my calls. Uh, you know, we lost every match, uh, and it wasn't even close. So I was actually ready to kind of walk away and, and go back to my engineering job, and I that day, I told Big Daddy, I said, you know, I think this is it for me. I, I, I don't think I'm going to continue doing this. And then he gave me a small book. Uh, it's called, uh, I believe, I forgot the name, but it's by John Wooden. It's a very short book. I remember the cover was blue. And he basically told me, take this, read page 89. I don't remember the exact page. And he walked away. He walked out of the office. And I spent the next 10 minutes reading uh, the page. And it was the uh, story of Abraham Lincoln, uh, basically, uh, you know, listing all the years of failures that he had and the depression and how many times he ran for, for the office and he failed. So I read the story and it kind of hit me. I'm like, oh my God, this is, uh, you know, I think the message that he was trying to, uh, uh, to try to convey to me is that after reading the story personally, I felt so small uh, as a human being, that after one year of failure, I decided to walk away from the game. And that was actually the moment when I decided, I'm like, you know what? Uh, I'm going to stick to it. And that was a turning point. I mean, I tell the story to a lot of people, uh, uh, and I, I, I decided to stay. And, and obviously, like I said, the rest is history. So this is what I, this is what I believe in. And obviously, 
you know, I tell my, my you know, like, for example, in 2008, I had one of my best teams ever and we fell short. We actually lost in the match that should have gotten to the state finals, not the state finals, but the state tournament. Uh, and we had a team that went 27 and one, but we just couldn't win that match to get us to the state finals. And I told my team back then, I'm like, if I knew in, 20, in, in 2008 what I knew in 2017, I told my team, I said, I would have gotten you to the state finals. So the point I'm trying to make is that you, you get better along the way. What I decided I'm going to run the team, um, the decision that I made is that I was going to run the team like a mini corporation. And this is really how I perceive running a program. It's nothing more than just having a mini corporation where you have a bunch of people who are working for one goal. However, no, nobody on the team or nobody in the company shall see you know, their role as more important than somebody else, including the leader, including the CEO of the company. And I tell my teams all the time, I'm like, if one person sees his or her role as more important than the other, then we have a dysfunction on the team. And the same goes, by the way, to a family. Like, again, I approach, when I say mini corporation, um, I mean it as obviously a family. Like, I, I believe in the family environment and the program, in the true sense of the word. Right. We're going to talk about this today more. Uh, so what I learned that day, I'm like, well, I cannot see my role as a coach as more important than the person who is coming off the bench for one play, a match to serve one ball, for example. If I see my role as yeah. more important, then we have a dysfunction or vice versa. So I learned that day, I'm like, we don't have roles that are more important, but we have roles that are different. So. That, that, yeah, that's yeah. the day when I'm like, okay, it's, because at, at first, I mean, that's really how I perceived it. And again, I tell people all the time in my coaching clinics, I tell coaches, I'm like, look, I'm going to raise my hand. I'm going to tell you that I'm guilty of this and this and that. And like I said, you kind of learn along the way. So what I, and if you look at all the successful companies and corporations, they all have what we call core values. Okay. Mm -hmm. if you don't have core values. And, and just so you know, that, that to me is more important than the mission statement. As a matter of fact, to me, core values are your mission statement. I can't talk about okay. the core values as opposed to having a phrase that kind of summarizes what you stand for. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but your core values is really what you have to, uh, what you have to uh, live by. And I tell my teams all the time, like, well, and we're not going to compromise. My core values are, nobody is bigger than the core values, including myself. Okay, we're not gonna compromise. Okay, and on my in my program, what I eventually ended up with um, are the following three values or core values. One is you want to master the fundamentals. Okay, if you want to get better at volleyball, you have to master the skills. If you want to get better at playing soccer, you got to master the skills. So whatever craft you decide you you want to play or you want to practice. You want to master the fundamentals. That's one. Number two, you want, to, you want to be an exceptionally good teammate. Exceptional. And we don't just talk about it, but, you know, we obviously want to walk the walk. We live it. Uh, and we go into details when it comes to, like, what it truly means to be an exceptionally good teammate. Okay. And then finally, the last one, uh, I used to say, you know, we want to compete like crazy. Like, we want to come to the gym every day. And we want to compete like crazy. Eventually, I changed that. And now I call it compete like a lunatic. 
And <laughs> <laughs> okay. If you if you come to my, nice. yeah, and if you come to my gym, really, as, as you walk in, you will see, um, you know, women athletes um, playing volleyball in a very lunatic way. Like I'm talking about the enthusiasm and the celebration. So that big, mm -hmm. that's a big part of what we do, you know. So if you actually attend a practice of ours, you're not gonna be, you're not gonna be bored. You're gonna see two teams. <laughs> Or you're going to see teams, if we're playing on different courts, on many courts, competing and going at it. And that's really what I believe in. Like, these are the pillars, the core values of, of the program. Uh, so That's so neat. Thank you. Thank you. So that's, that, this is what I ended up with. And still today, it's in my 75-page booklet. Uh, you know, we talk about it. Not only, but again, not, we don't want to just talk about it. We want to live it. So these are the core values. That's awesome. And, and through that, you attract like-minded people to your program, I would exactly. imagine, right? But Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So just so you know, I mean, obviously, I get better at recruiting along the way. Like at first, I used to talk about the how. You know, like I used to bring in athletes into my, into my office and I would tell, you know, talk about the success. Can I do like the show-off thing? I'm like, oh, we've won so many games and and we've beaten these teams and we've won so many championships. I, I over the, you know, as, as I got older and wiser, I stopped talking about this because it wasn't that important. What's more important is talking about the why. See, to me, the why is was what, and this is again, what separates the good companies from the great companies. And the example that I like to use is the example of Apple, the company Apple. And I tell people all the time, like, well, if you actually listen to the ads that they run on TV, uh, they don't talk about the how and the what a lot. Like they don't tell you we have a product and that's what it does. They actually tell you more about the why. And it's more, and this is again, when I say why, like you cannot sell somebody a product unless you can tell them why they need to have it. And that's what Apple does. Apple gets people to believe. And that's the key word. They get you to believe. Yeah that you cannot live without their product, that you really need it to survive, to, to kind of, you know, to live. And, and, and this is what I started doing. I started focusing more on the why. Why this program? Why do you need to be here? So I, I kind of get better at that. And, 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 and that, by the way, is a big part of coaching. And I tell my kids all the time, like, look, if you ask me, Nabil, like, for example, we have a concept in our gym, and we're going to talk about that too as well today. But we have a concept which is right below core values. See, the way I look at it is core values, concepts, and then methods. These are the three elements of building a program. See, the core values don't change. Core values, you know, 50 years from now, if I'm still coaching, I'm probably going to have the same core values. They don't change. I mean, that's your foundation. Concepts, you know, they may change. Like sometimes I add more concepts. Sometimes I remove one that I don't like or whatever. So one of the concepts that we have is that you want to be at practice 22 minutes prior, you know, and I keep saying 22 minutes until finally one day, you know, a player is going to tell me, Nabil, why 22 minutes and not 20, for example. Okay. And I'll tell him like, right. because it's two minutes to put your knee pads and ankle braces on and whatever. And then you need 20 minutes to warm up. See, now, right. now the, and, you know, it made sense. Like 20 years ago, if a player asked me why, I'll probably would tell them because I said so. And, right. <laughs> right. and why, do, yeah. why do coaches do that? Not because they're, they're being arrogant. I think they do that because it's an easy answer. 
And a lot of times yes. because they don't know why. They don't know why they're doing it. It's because they, because somebody else is doing it or they heard it in one, you know, in a clinic somewhere or whatever. So they decide to do it, but they don't know why they're doing it. So I made it a point that we're not going to do anything in the program unless we know why we're doing it. You know, from setting up the net awesome. yeah, to playing volleyball, to how we act after practice, before practice, at home, um, in the classroom, whatever it is. Okay. I mean, I cover it all from, from A to Z. We don't just talk about volleyball. So that to me is important. So again, going back to what I was talking about is core values, concepts, and methods. Okay. Yeah, that's really neat. And then I think when you can support the why with logical, you know, understandable, relatable rationale, that draws people in and it creates a belief in what you're doing. Absolutely. You know, right. And that belief it empowers the program. Absolutely. So, so to answer your question, I think you asked me about the, so eventually what ended up happening is that players recruited players from me. Like you see, the more, the more I, I started doing this better in terms of recruiting, the more players brought other players to the program. And again, one of the uh, slogans that we live by at Pierce was Brahmas, which is our mascot. Brahmas are rare people. So I tell people all the time, I'm like, look, this is not for everybody. This place here is not for everybody. And I said, don't take it the wrong way. It's actually a compliment. Because again, the things that I ask my players to do, I mean, I tell them all the time, I'm like, look, I don't want you to just be committed. I want you to be committed to excellence. And then a lot, a lot of them will raise their hand when he asks them, like, oh, well, yeah, I'm committed, coach. I'm like, okay, so show me the calendar that I, that I handed out to you. And then they usually show you the calendar. I'm like, okay, so what's, what's there on Saturday? Well, there's nothing on Saturday. I'm like, okay, so what is it that you did on Saturday then? Oh, I just took the day off. I said, well, you see, you're committed, but you're not committed to excellence. See, this is what somebody who's committed to excellence would do. There are no, they, don't, they don't take days off. They just, they just, it's whatever that's not listed on the schedule is what counts. Uh, right. To me, everything that's on the calendar is just the minimum, you know? So we talk right. about that. And, 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 and uh, like, for example, I'll give you another thing that we did at Pierce. And I know some of the programs in college are not allowed to do this. We obviously were allowed to do this. Uh, but Sunday night is a big part of what we do. So, so we actually practice on Sunday night. Uh, okay. even, if we did, even if we went for one hour, I just wanted the girls to kind of get together and, and kind of get ready for the week. Uh, if we had two big, two big matches. This way, we don't come on Monday. And at the end of practice, everybody kind of uses that same, you know, cliche, which is, oh, just a Monday practice. Just a Monday practice where they, they kind of mm-hmm. put motion because they're still in weekend mode, if you know what I mean. So yes. practice on Sunday because I, I wanted the girls to be there and, 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 and get together and, and, you know, practice and socialize and do all that stuff. So, um, and, you know, again, a lot of times players would ask me, like, what separates your program from the rest? That's, that's one of them. You know, like practice mm. Sunday night. Uh, yeah. yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and and the players that want to do that, that are willing to do that, want to be at Pierce. You know, they want it to be part of a winning program. So, like the the understanding of what the program had to offer and what you had to offer, and the whole shebang sort of brought them in and created this belief that they they wanted to do that. That's really really neat. That's interesting. So recruiting the right people is obviously one of the big keys. So, so how do you, 
um, attract the right people? Do you use the transfer portal at all? Or like, what is your method for getting, you know, those people in the door? Yeah, you know, like the transfer portal, again, that's one of the things that I used to talk about. But then again, it kind of became self-explanatory. Like people would do their homework about peers. Everybody would know what we're all about, what we stand for. But to me, the biggest thing was basically uh, doing my homework on the players. Like I would, I would call, you know, the parents. Obviously, I, I, I always wanted the parents to be involved, especially at all level, because kids who, are, who come through a JC or a community college, uh, their parents typically are involved in the decision making. So when I invite the players to come on campus, I actually want the parents to come as well because I want them to listen. You know, uh, right. I want them to listen so they can talk about it at home and, and, and what have you. So uh, that's really the big thing is doing my homework on the players. And a lot of times my players would do the homework on them. Like they would, they would, you know, call me or knock on my door and say, hey, Nabil, I think I have a player for you. And I think she could be a good fit. Why? Is because that player went through the, the you know, the, the program already, you know, whether she's, whether she's still playing for me or she was done playing for me, uh, they kind of know what the expectations are. And, and so they know mm-hmm. the type of player that I'm recruiting, that I'm looking for. Uh, and I tell my players all the time, like, look, I don't expect you to come, you know, complete or, or perfect, uh, you know, with, with no bad habits or whatever. That's not what I'm looking for. But however, I do tell them, I'm like, look, but if you actually have, if you don't have a good work ethic, that then let's not, let's, that's not, don't waste my time. I'm not going to waste yours. It's not going to work because when I look at grades, like to me, uh, I look at grades. Like if somebody is not doing well in college, in school, high school, obviously there are special cases. Like if it's a learning deficiency, then I get it. And again, I do my homework. Like I want to know why this person is not doing well in the classroom. But I tell people all the time, like, look, but if there's no reason, then guess what? I'm not going to be the right person for you because if you're not working hard in the classroom, then it's more than likely you're not going to work hard in the gym either. So, right. so, uh, so that was very big on recruiting players who are, who are actually good students. So the work ethic has to be there. And then second, okay, which again, it, they kind of go hand in hand because one will affect the other. It's called the moral ethics. Okay. So in my opinion, somebody, and I call it, by the way, I called it at Pierce out of ethics. Somebody who goes out of ethics. And, and I'll give you a small example. Like somebody who lied. Even if it's a small, you know, well, there's no small lie. But it's a, like somebody who, I'm like, hey, were you in bed by 10 o'clock yesterday? No, Nabil. I went to bed uh, at 9 when she really actually went to bed at 11. Like somebody who, so I call this out of ethics. Going out of ethics. Okay. Now, when somebody goes out of ethics, guess what? Your performance will be impacted. Okay. I'll give, you, I'll give you a real-life example. Somebody who works for a company that makes boxes. And let's say that guy's capacity is to make 10 boxes. That guy one day decided to steal from his box. Okay, so now he's out of ethics. I guarantee you that when this guy comes to work, his capacity will go from 10 boxes to 7 or 6 or whatever the case might be, if you know what I mean. So with the players... I have a knack for this. Like I sometimes can walk into practice and I can tell that things are not, there's something that's not right. Okay. And it could be very minute as like somebody who is late to practice and, you know, that, and it's, it's bothering some of the players. Uh, so 
right away, I then right away I can I learned that hey, you know what? We need to sit down and kind of talk about it. So I, I we call this actually a fireside chat. I stole this from uh, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, FDR, back in the uh, 50s or 60s when uh, radio became was popular. He used to do a, a radio show and talk about politics, and they kind of hash it out. So on our team, I call it a fireside chat, where we basically sit down and talk to each other. And the reason, and again, that's a big two, like capital T, capital O. And the reason why I say that is because Players typically they don't like confrontations, okay, and it's not right. a character thing. So what they end what what ends up happening is that they talk about each other, and not to each other. Yep. When you talk Absolutely. about each other, guess what? Now you're you're you, it's called gossip, and to me, mm-hmm. gossip is the number one destructible force in the universe. That's how I describe it. So. So when Kelly comes to my office and tells me the deal, Lisa is late to practice and it's bugging me. I'm gonna tell her, well, "Why are you talking about it? Why don't you Why don't you go and talk to her?" So the the so the one of the things that I teach the players to do is to talk to each other, even if it's not comfortable at first. And the example that I like to use is that uh, why do brothers and sisters or siblings why do they fight all the time? And you know, a lot of times, you know, they give you whatever different answers. But my answer is because they are honest with each other. However, the difference between the siblings and my players on the team is that the siblings, they know they care about each other, they love each other, and there is the trust issue. So I tell my kids, I'm like, and that's why they don't talk to each other at first, is because they don't know each other. They, they What they know is very superficial. And this is what I mean by uh, becoming a family in the true sense. So when I tell my players, when you commit to play for me, once you commit to play for me, guess what? It's not a five-day commitment. It's not come to practice and I'll see you tomorrow. It's a seven-day commitment. Like even on the days when we're off, I want the players to get together, uh, even if they want to go and, and have dinner or whatever, watch a football game, whatever the case might be, I still want them to be together. And the more they do this, uh, the more of a family you are fostering in your gym. Okay. I love that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Because eventually, and I'll, I'll, I'll end at this, eventually what I tell the players, I'm like, look, I can only tell you about it, but you're going to have to experience it. But toward the end of the season, when you're playing on the court and you look to your left and you look to your right and you say, I'm going to play so hard today because I'm not going to let my teammate down. I said, the day you feel that is the day you have become a family. And is the day you have a real good chance at advancing and winning a state title. So that's That's really neat. Yeah, absolutely powerful and, and practical and just core, like you said, based on just important core values that are just human, human values of connection and real pure communication versus avoiding it. I loved how you described gossip as the number one most destructible force in the universe. I love that because, I mean, it tears teams apart, right? And if they just talk to each other, most of the things can be resolved. So I love that, you know, and you're, you're embracing that with your athletes. That's so cool. And and just so you know, to add to it at one point, like once I show my play, and obviously leadership is a big part of it. Like obviously the, 
you know, at, the, at, at our level, you only get them for two years, maybe three sometimes. So leadership has a lot to do with it. So the sophomores who played for me already one year, so they do a good job, you know, getting the freshmen to be on board and trying to understand what we're doing and all that. So eventually what's going to happen with the team is my leaders will come to me and tell me, Nabil, it's time for the fireside chat. It's because okay. there's something that's going on. And guess what? And I'll ask, like, okay, is everything okay? And then a lot of times my players, my, my captains or my leaders would, t- would say, Nabil, we got it handled. Okay. Because I, because I tell them, I'm like, look, I don't want you to come to me and rat anybody out. Uh, if there is an internal problem, I want you guys to solve it. Now, I gave you guys the tools on how to solve it. Now, however, if you don't come to a resolution, then guess what? You're going to have to come to me and ask for help. Why? Because the team comes first. Okay. So it's not about ratting somebody out anymore. Now we have to do what's best for the team. Okay. So if you feel a player is whatever, is not, uh, you know, is kind of jumping off the wagon, if you know me, or off the, if, if, whatever it is, if they're going out of ethics and you guys cannot resolve this, then you need to come and talk to me about it. Then I have to intervene, if you know what I mean. So, but that's, but again, it's all about empowering the, 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 the athletes to kind of solve this internally. And, you know, the players appreciate this. But again, in the end, it's all about trust. Like I need to trust them and they need to trust me. I need to care about them. And they need to care about me. And the story that I like to use is actually, I think it was Mia Hamm, if you know who she is. You mm-hmm. do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yep, absolutely. She, yeah, so she played, uh, and I think, uh, I don't know if you know who Anson Durance is. Yep, absolutely. Soccer so, uh, coach, yep. Exactly, yeah. 18, yeah. I think it's 18 national championships at yep. UNC, University of North Carolina. So anyway, he actually tells the story when, and he was talking about his coaching um, career and he said when he was when he first started coaching he was a tyrant that was his style and one day he comes to his uh, office and there was a note on his desk that said anonymous that says i don't care how much you know until i know you care about me and he said himself that it transformed it changed you know how he approaches coaching and transformed him as a human being uh, but I think it was Mia Hamm. I'm not, you know, I'm not positive, but I think it was her who wrote the letter. I mean, the, the message, the anonymous message, but I'm not sure. Uh, but regardless, right. uh, regardless, the point that I'm trying to make is that, you know, I'm, I can be hard on the, kind of like parents. Parents can be hard on their kids, blah, blah, blah. But in the end, the kids know that the parents care about them. They love them. And that's the key with coaching. Like, you can be hard on your kids as long as they know you care about them and you love them. Mm-hmm. And vice versa. Again, going back to the family, uh, you know, approach, uh, and, and which I really, again, I tell my players, I'm like, look, we, we might win a lot of matches because we have a lot of talent. We might even go, you know, undefeated all the way to the state finals. But guess what? If you don't become a family, you know, you're going to be vulnerable. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to have the best chance of winning the whole thing. So uh, that's how I look at it. That's really interesting. And one of the things that stands out to me about that is there's a degree of patience that goes into that. Like, obviously, when you when you jump into rebuilding a program or building a program, you want them to get good really quick. Right. But you can't rush the process of becoming a family. There's some there, there has to be real time investment and real relationships invested. So there's a degree of patience, but there's this payoff in terms of like you said just being a family in itself is the payoff 
Absolutely. Yeah. You actually hit it on the head. I mean, you're right. You have to respect the process, the infamous word or the famous word. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and sometimes we know, sometimes coaches make that mistake. They kind of lose sight of this. They talk about the process, but they don't fully understand what this means. And, and they get impatient and they want results right away. You're right. You have to respect the process. And, and guess what? Yes, time is, is one thing. But you, it's, it's really what you do during that time. Like you can't just come to practice and, and talk to each other every single day and expect us to become a family. Right. You actually have to work. Like you have to dig deeper. Great. You have to obviously you have to spend time together, but it's how you go about it. Obviously, the fireside chats are good because, because they start talking about things that are kind of private. And when they feel comfortable talking about that stuff is, again, when you, when you begin the process of building a family, in my opinion. That's a great point. Conversations have to go beyond surface level. It's not just time spent together. It's real. Exactly. Exactly. That's such yes. a, that's such a you, cool you, way you of doing that. Exactly. And I, I love the fireside oh, chat. Uh, I, oh, yeah. It just sounds, it sounds like relaxing. It doesn't exactly. sound like a, uh, like I think a lot of times when there's issues on the team, there's conversations, but it feels like, uh, an attack essentially and players don't like that at all and this fireside chat kind of sounds like we're all gathered by the fire and we're going to chat about some stuff we're going to keep it real but you know i i love that approach thank you and i you know i attend the first two usually to make sure that they do it respectfully because it can get very heated and very like it's right but again i want to make sure i'm there so i can give them the right tools that hey you know, just listen, don't get defensive. It's okay. Talk about it. Let it off your chest. So, so we do all that. But again, I'm, I'm, I'm really different. Like I'll give you another example. Like I have one of my favorite players of all time. Her name is Kathleen Wright with a W. So I gave her the nickname K-Dub. Uh, one of the best players who, you know, played for me and came through the program. And she was actually an outside hitter in high school and club. And then I, Made her at Libero. Oh, nice. She ended up going to Gonzaga, actually, University on the full ride. But anyway, make a long story short, her and another favorite of mine, her name is Veronica Ban. Uh, they played together on the team. They were the leaders. And that was back in 2011. And they, again, just so you know, they are the best, I mean, best friends today, like literally best friends. So at one point, I kinda, I'm on the other side of the net and I hear K-Dub and Veronica kind of, you know, arguing and, and, and bickering at each other. So I kind of walked toward him. I'm like, hey, is everything okay? And that's during practice. And K-Dub kind of looked at me. He's like, Nabil, we got it. Right. And that to me, and I walked away. See, that to me is like a lot of coaches are not okay with it. I'm okay with it because, again, it's, it comes down to the trust. It comes down to, hey, I, I, that's really what I want. I want it to be an all-business type approach. And if, they can hand, if, they, if she told me I, I got it covered, then I'm okay with it. And I walked away. And I'll give you another example that, um, again, another player that I love so much, uh, her nickname was Meatballs. <laughs> anyway, we won't get into this one. But Rachel Lodes, uh, one of my uh, setters from the 2015 team, uh, she actually kicked her best friend on the team, our big middle, out of practice. She kicked her out of practice, she said. And that was toward the end of the year, uh, right before playoffs. And I mean, without even asking for my approval, it's like, hey, it's like, get out of here. I'm here to win a championship, I'm, and, and you're standing in my way. You don't have it. Wow. Just she kicked it out, and and the player left. And guess what? And guess what? I didn't I didn't say a word. I I kind of 
that's the decision she made. Obviously, I talked to her about you know afterwards, and I kind of told her like, look, this is what you wanted to do. Go for it. You know, if you feel like she was standing in our way or whatever, then that's fine. You know, but you could have done maybe done it this way or whatever. So I give her feedback about it, which is okay because you know what I tell my 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 captains or my leaders. I'm like, look, I cannot. Leadership is not something that can that I can teach you. Okay. However, it can be learned. What does that mean? It's not an oxymoron. What does that mean is that it's situational. So you kind of have to wait for the situation to kind of teach him. And, and that's really how you learn leadership and, and, and all that. So anyway, she did that and I, and I was okay with it. That's but really that's the cool. type of intensity I, I love that, that we have in our well, and I And I think that and that okay really would speed up the process me. of building a program yeah. because instead of the coach being the one that's guiding everything – now the the division of labor or the of responsibility is spread out amongst all of the, the the people that are involved, right? So it really empowers everyone to to go and and be yes. their best versus the coach having to be their best and and just pull everyone along. Yes, I, yes, yeah. Like I mean, you know, like I, another mistake that I made twenty years ago is I you know I would tell athletes, "This is my team." This is my team. This is the way I want to do it. I, I see this word. I, you know, I was eliminated from my vocabulary. If you know what I mean. I, so it's not, so you want to basically the point I'm making is that you want to give the players ownership. It's not my team. It's our team. You know, like I said, my role right. is different than her role, right. but th- in the end, it's our team, you know? Uh, so that's really important that you do that. So you want to empower the athletes. You want to give them ownership in the team. So I give you another example. Like I, 20 years ago, I would give them a list of 20 different rules or whatever, 20 plus. And I said, okay, these are the rules. And if you do this, strike one, strike two, and then whatever the consequences, I, I stopped doing that. Now I would actually meet with the team and I said, okay, this is your season. This is our season. This is your team. It's our team. Okay. You need to tell me how you want this to go. So you need to sit down and talk about Whatever rules, I don't call them rules anymore. I call them standards. As a matter of fact, I only have one rule on the team. Okay, and that rule is don't do anything detrimental to yourself and to the team. That's the only rule I have on the team, by the way. I know it's a general rule, but that's the only rule. And a lot of times, you know, other, you know, the opponents, uh, they talk about our program and they, they, you know, they obviously hear stories or whatever. And a lot of times they are under the impression uh, that we have a lot of rules on the team and blah, blah, blah. It's not the case at all. So, again, I only have one rule, and I tell the players, look, you need to tell me what kind of standards you want to have. So you guys need to sit down, write it down. Everybody has to sign it, blah, blah, blah. Give me a copy, and then you guys going to keep a copy. So now what you did is instead of putting it on me, it's really on them. Because if, if they go out of ethics, okay, now you can actually show them like, look, you're the one who told me. You essentially have their buy-in, but it's not even buy-in because they're the ones creating it, <laughs> right? It's not buying into your, your yes, deal. Exactly. It's they're creating the whole deal. And I, I think that's really special. That's really neat. Exactly. So, so exactly. are there any positional yes. um, priorities that you look for when you're recruiting? Um, yeah, I mean, I've always taken a lot of pride in training the setters. Obviously, you, every coach knows that, that you know, a setter can make a good team a great team. 
um, if you have the right setup. So I'm, I'm obviously always big on recruiting the right person uh, for that position. Uh, but I don't, you know, to me, all the positions, I mean, you got to, you need, you know, you need to have uh, a, you know, a good roster that's not only deep, versatile. And the reason why I say versatile is because I'm not that picky about the positions, just so you know. So like when, I'm, when I'm out there recruiting, if I see, if I see a third middle, on the court who I think is very athletic, but she's on the bench because she's number three behind the other two. My, my thought process are like, you know what? I can turn her into an opposite. Okay. She can be a good left side player. So my, I think outside the box. So I tell the players all the time, like, look, I don't coach positions. I like that. I coach volleyball players. You know, eventually we can end up, you know, we can end up specializing here and there. So I've done this a lot. What I, I, uh, what I recruit players and I change their <laughs> position. You know, like I told you with Kate up, she was an outside hitter, but she ended up being my libero. Uh, but if there's one specific position that I like to recruit, it's not so much position, it's more, uh, you know, the right athlete. Okay. I like to run a three middle offense. But, yeah, and the reason why I like, and again, there's always a why. I like my opposite to run okay. behind the setter off one foot. Okay. And then we have, we have actually three different slide, three different slide attacks along the net. Okay. I call them short, medium, and long. That's what that's what we call them. So anyway, I look for a very specific athlete who can run the slides. Off when we are in system, out of system. I don't call them. I don't call it that. By the way, I call it okay. balance and off balance. Okay, uh, it makes more sense to me. So I, I look for a specific player who can play on the right side. And run the slide. And the reason why I like to do this is because in the women's game, you can run a faster offense right. behind the center mm -hmm. off one foot than you can. And in the men's game, a little bit, a little bit different. You can run the. And the reason why I like to do this is because I'm, I'm kind of different. Uh, I actually okay. like to go fast behind the center, and I like to okay. go slower in front of the center. So kind of right. the op mm -hmm. the opposite of what other teams do. So, uh, so, so yeah. So that's. So if I have to recruit one position, one you know, one particular athlete, that's interesting. Somebody who can play the that's right interesting, side. and that's not all that common, right? Running the yeah. three middle offense, uh, would you say, compared to some of the teams you guys are playing? Uh, yeah, no, it's not common. I don't think. No, I don't think it's common at all. I, uh, yeah, it's not uh, common, right? Is so that what you said? That, it's not common, right? Yeah, and that does that mess with uh, not teams at all. trying not to make all. adjustments to you guys? I give you an yeah. I mean, my my best. I actually started doing this in 2011. The three middle offense, and it was actually that team, Veronica Band, and uh, my good friend. He's one of my good friends in coaching. His name is Carl Pereira. He actually coached at uh, University of Oregon before he made his way to uh, Bakersfield, where he's coaching at Bakersfield, Bakersfield College, and he's been there for the last I don't know, I think twelve, maybe fifteen years. Uh, but Carl is a good friend of mine, and and the reason why I'm telling you is because we actually changed uh, maybe halfway through our season we. I decided to tell to have Veronica go from being a normal right side player, and we started working on the slide. Uh, back then, I didn't have the three sets: the short, medium, and long. Uh, but we started running it very quick, very fast, and and she was athletic enough to be able to do it. So we actually went to Bakersfield, and I remember Carl telling me <laughs> afterwards, he's like, "Oh my God, I was not ready for this because we played him, we played him prior to that in a match, and he had a scouting report." And he, he's the one who told me, he's like, just so you know, your team is wow. 10 times better now because of this. Uh, we ended up winning, winning the whole thing and, and, and what have you. And that's when I decided 
like that's the offense that I like. That's the one that suits what I'm, what I'm, you know, right. again, ideally that's what you want. You know, uh, if you don't have the, if you don't have the personnel, then I would, you know, you know, like I said, and that's one thing that, that I learned over the years that you have to be flexible. Yeah, that was one thing I was going to ask you since, right. since you get them for you know, two years, do you have a tendency to more go with their strengths or try to get them into the system that you like? Or uh, okay. the system that I like, yes, for sure. Uh, but again, but again, we don't. I don't push the envelope. At one point, I decide either I'm going to go with it or not. I'll give you another example. In 2015, uh, I ran the three middle offense. Um, 2015, actually, it was 20, uh, 2015. Yes, I ran the three middle offense. I had two, two girls, two players on the team: Leanna Schott and uh, Chelsea Lawrence. Chelsea is six foot two or three and then liana is only five five nine maybe five ten five nine i think and liana was actually my right side player and then chelsea was the middle because that's what everybody does so what i did is i did the opposite again i put my big middle on the right mm -hmm. side and the smaller one in the middle that's cool and it just made it better for for some reason uh, again again i i don't mind doing things that are not orthodox you know, like right. again, now I is is the that. three middle offense more passing um, efficiency required? I mean, yeah, you obviously you know you you the better you pass, obviously in, in any system. I mean, I, I take it back actually. In any system, the better the serve received, uh, the more options you have, the better the offense. Uh, but yes, to run the slide, I would say yes, you need to have a good passing team, and obviously digging as well because every time you dig. Uh, I call it, you create, you create an opportunity to convert. Okay. In the end, uh, I tell people all the time, if I had to explain volleyball to a third grader, okay, as Denzel Washington said in one of his movies, explain it to me like a third grader. Um, I tell them, look, the whole point of volleyball is to okay. get more kills than the other team. So, and, but again, come be, you know, without going into stats Absolutely. and all the numbers. It's kind of true. If you get more kills than the other team, you have a, you have a better chance of winning the game. So, obviously, every time you pass the ball and every time you dig the ball, you have a chance to get more kills. Uh, so, yeah, to answer your question, yes. I mean, you obviously, uh, you want to serve and pass. And, and just so you know, that's a big part of what we do in our gym every day. We serve and pass every single day. As a matter of fact, we don't, we, I don't do anything that's artificial. Uh, I'm a big believer that if you want to get better at passing, you pass that hit. Uh, kind of the same, the school of thought of Marv Dunphy and Carl McGowan. If you get better at setting, you want to pass that hit. You play the game the way it's supposed to be played. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. As a matter of fact, that's exactly how we train. However, what I do differently is I do a lot of three-on-three, four-on-four. Uh, by okay. the way, I call this game Volley Sal. Uh, I don't know if you know. Yes, yes. You've heard Love of futsal before, the soccer game. The, but a lot of people don't know that the reason why some of the best outdoor soccer players are good is because they played futsal, which is played on a hard surface, which means the ball is going to bounce faster. So your foot control has to be better, one. Number two, it's less people. So you get more touches. And in the end, that's really your job. It's, there's one thing that you need to do as a coach is how you can maximize the number of touches your players get. That's really the bottom line of coaching is, is touches, touches, and touches. That's what I call it.
so by playing what I call volley cell, we maximize the number of touches. Is that, is that, that just basically playing three-on-three three games so, and, and half-court and you know all that kind of things to maximize their touches? Yeah. It's mostly, okay. actually, it's mostly, it's mostly four-on-four. Four. I do three-on-three three sometimes, but it's mostly on a full, on a full court. And we don't hit we don't hit behind the template line. We actually hit at the net, like the way we're supposed to play. And then from there, I, it's just got like you're playing beach basically. I tell them, look, the template line does not exist. Uh, you cannot go open hand tip. You can only only go off speed. Uh, kind of like you're playing beach, but four on four. However, the only difference is that we always there's always a serve involved. We don't just toss ball. However, it's never only a serve. And we do this with everything that we do in our gym. It's always what I call a series of balls. So, for example, serve, spin, spin by the coach. Yes. So that's a three-ball series. Make sense? Um, and then whoever wins the last ball in the series always serves again. So this way, you don't stop and say, oh, okay, who won this and who won that? And you're wasting time. Hey, it's just like volleyball. If you win the last ball in the series. I like that. Plus, what? it keeps the you pace the up. Serve. You know, you know, and you're getting tons yeah. of touches, like you said, exactly. maximizing those touches. I love that. That's really Fun. cool. Yeah, that's really neat. Now, yes. I I know you Thank are you. one of the literal experts in skill teaching, so I gotta ask you, since I have you on the pod, if I could just get you <laughs> just to say a couple of your sure. fundamental skill things for just one of the skills I know, you know, I know you do a lot of teaching coaches, you know, um, but I have you on the pod. So I thought I, I would just pick your brain for just a little bit. You can pick the skill, but, but whichever skill you want and just let sure, us know sure. some of the sort of um, principles or, you know, techniques or however you want to frame it that you look for in a, yeah. Yeah, no, I, you know, obviously I, uh, I'm a big believer in using keywords and the reason why you want to use keywords is because that's what it's all about learning and not only learning, but you want to make sure that your players are retaining. You know, a lot of times players learn, but the retaining factor or percentage is not high enough. Uh, now, obviously, the more you can repeat one thing over and over and over again, over time, obviously, the more you're going to retain it. So let's take passing, for example. Passing to me is one thing that we work on every single day. Like I said, serving and passing. Uh, but to me, uh, I know a lot of coaches say pass the ball midline. I don't oppose to it. I think that's fine. Uh, and again, this is what I got better over the years is that I, I, I stopped being so rigid about, you know, teaching a skill. Like sometimes you kind of have to let the players be players, be athletes. So going back to passing, uh, midline is basically taking the ball right there in front of your belly button. Uh, to me, my midline is taking the ball over your left knee. Okay. Or you take it over your right knee, preferably over the left. And the reason why I like that is because if you're, ta if you're tracking the ball to take it over your left knee, okay, um, and the ball all of a sudden, especially in today's serving, which can be very tough, um, it, it, the ball rises. So now if you're trying to take the ball midline, you're taking that ball on your chest. But if you're taking the ball over your left knee, you can actually lift your leg up and keep your shoulders in front of your knees. Because in the end, for the ball to go forward, okay, to the target or to the setter, you want your knees to be slightly in front of the shoulders. And you get in trouble 
when your shoulders okay. are behind your knees. Now the ball is going up. It's not going forward anymore. So I like okay. my players to track the ball over the left knee and sometimes over the right knee. So that to me is my midline. That's number one. Number two, uh, it's, I call it load up your platform. So load up is actually a keyword. What does load up mean? Basically, tilt your wrist down. You tilt it down as you form your platform. You lock your elbows and you shrug your shoulders, not upward, forward. And the reason why you like you do that is because when you load up, or sometimes I say tense up your upper body, tense okay. up your upper body and relax your lower body. Okay. So, yeah. And the reason why you want to do that, right. because you don't want your platform to be soft. Okay. The harder it is as a, pla- as a, as a rebounding platform, the more control you're going to have. Okay. So when you shrug your shoulders forward, you have a tendency to bring your elbows closer together and, and female, athletes are typically better than the male athletes and i think it has to do with obviously uh, anatomy obviously Um, but and and the reason why you tilt your wrist down is because you want to tense up your muscles uh, and you know on the forearms you don't want it to be relaxed so loading up is a big thing you obviously want to load up early um what else Uh, i tell the players i'm like look i know coaches say all the time get your feet to the ball you want to get your feet to the ball. But in the end, yeah. what's really important is the platform. Okay. So I tell them at one point, you're going to have to stop your feet. If you're tracking the ball, stop your feet and stick your platform and let mm-hmm. the platform kind of do the work for you. Okay. Uh, and I think a lot of coaches who put a lot of emphasis on getting the feet behind the ball, uh, they end okay. up with players right. moving too much okay. as they pass. Really cool. That's awesome. Before you go, what are some of the challenges that you anticipate? Because, I mean, I've been a coach for a long time. You've been a coach for a long time. We we both know that failure is a part of it, but it's still difficult to to deal with, right? So what are some of those challenges of building a program? I mean, not not necessarily from from the team standpoint, but just from a personal standpoint. Uh, you know, I think the challenges, uh, the challenges are usually uh, typically kind of like outside factors, like how much support system you're getting from the college. Uh, uh, like, for example, uh, do we have enough in the budget to be able to buy? Because, you know, I tell my players, look, if you want to come play for me, this is going to be a Division One program at a JC. But I want to walk the walk. So I want to be able to get them, you know, nice uniforms and, and uh, sweats and you know uh, knee pads shoes you know and typically typically colleges don't have enough money especially at the jc to be able to afford all this especially that i actually like i like a big family like i like to have between 15 and 20 players on the team okay for many reasons but uh one of them is obviously we want to be versatile but um these are the typically the challenges it's not so much what we do in our gym uh, internally, it's really dealing with the uh, with the outside factors. Uh, how much money we have in the budget? Um, uh, do we get vans to travel? Are we going to have a bus driver? Are we going to uh, academically? Are they going to get an athletic counselor to be able to sit down with them and 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 work on their academic path? If you know what I mean. So it's not so much not so not so much internally. Internally, personally, you know, I got it down. Like I got it down to a T. I. I you know, know exactly what needs to be done every single day before practice, 
during practice, after practice, and then after they leave when they go home, because that's really the challenge. Just so you know, I tell players all the time, I'm like, look, the challenge is really me, you know, me leaving my office at the end of the night, going home, and knowing that you guys are doing the right things to be good teammates. You know, come up with your core values, whatever, whatever they are, and then stick to it. And then understand that it's going to take some time. You know, and the reason, again, most coaches quit. Like I tell, I've told, I've told coaches many times, like this is what I do in my gym. And they go to their gym, they start doing it. But then at one point they quit. And I'll tell you why. Because it's hard to apply. It's not easy. Like it's a, it's a daily thing. Like you have to be on it every single day. But that to me is what's important. Okay, because again, for it to become a habit, it's just not going to happen overnight. You know, it, it just takes time and time and time. And especially that, again, especially that you want it to, to be, you know, passed on from one team to the next. Uh, you kind of have to do some, you know, have to do the right thing with the players to be able to do that. So uh, I tell them, don't compromise your principles. Stick to it. Well, we learned so much. What a great conversation. Uh, Coach, thank you so much for being on. We're definitely going to, you know, keep track of you and see how it goes and watch you build up LA Mission College. I'm really excited to see that. So that's going to be awesome. So thank you so much for your time, and I totally appreciate it. And volume.